Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 10. He said, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world. And that's obvious. The world does not use truth to fight with. The world uses lies to fight with. The world doesn't use prayer. The world uses pride. And the Bible tells us that the weapons that we fight with are not the weapons of the world, but on the contrary, they have divine power. These are divine weapons. They're God's weapons. And because they're God's weapons, they are weapons of power. Because God is a God of power. And he says that they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about a weapon that I believe could be the most powerful weapon to the body of Christ and to us as followers of Christ. Yes, truth is an important, powerful weapon. We've got to have it. Prayer is an important, powerful weapon. The next message in this series, I'm going to talk about the power of love because of the power that love has to demolish strongholds and to rescue lives. But today I want to talk to you about the power of unity. The power of unity, because some people don't look at unity as a weapon, but it is a mighty weapon in the arsenal of the believer as the follower of Christ. The power of unity. And I've chosen to talk today about unity because of this passage of Scripture here in Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 12. That says that a person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back, look at this, and conquer. Notice when one stands alone, they can be attacked and defeated. But when two stand back to back, they're not defeated, they conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. It's the power of togetherness. It's the power of doing life together as one, doing life together in union, doing life together in unity. Have you ever prayed some prayers and to use some prayers you were just more passionate about than you were others? Maybe, maybe something that you prayed about that, that in your list of priorities it's way up here and then you have other things that you pray for that maybe are not that high on your priority list, they come down here. I think that's the way it was with Jesus at times. But when we go to John chapter 17, I think that we find something that was very dear to the heart of Jesus. And the reason why it was dear to the heart of Jesus, I believe it was dear to the heart of Jesus, is because Jesus is about to depart this world. And many believe that this was his final prayer that he prayed for his disciples. And it was definitely a priority. It was a, a prayer that was prayed with passion. It was a prayer that was prayed from his heart. It was the vision that Jesus had for us as his disciples. And this is what it says in John chapter 17, beginning at verse 9. Jesus said, my prayer is not for the world, but for those you have given me. Talking about those who believed, those who were followers of Jesus, disciples of Jesus. And he said, my prayer is not for those in the world, but for those that you have given me because they belong to you. 
All who are mine belong to you, and you have given them to me, so they bring me glory. Can I just stop right here for just a moment and talk to you about what the glory of God is? Because so many times we pray, God, show us your glory. And I believe what we need to be praying is instead of show us your glory, we need to be saying, God, reveal your glory, not just to me, but through me. Because that's how God reveals his glory to this world, is through us. When Jesus was here on this earth, he was the glory of God. He was the manifest presence of God. And the glory of God, and the glory of God being the character of God and the presence of God was revealed through the life and ministry of Jesus. But Jesus is no longer here. While he was here, he said, I am the light of the world. But now that he is gone, he looks at us and says, now you are the light of the world. And you are the salt of the earth. You are the vessel through which God wants to reveal his glory. Through which God wants to reveal his character. Through which God God wants to reveal his presence to this world. So let me ask you today, are you doing a good job revealing the character of God to this world and revealing the presence of God to this world? Because the character of God, when I want to sum up the character of God, I would just simply say this, God is love. Are we doing a good job of showing this world that God is love? And that's basically what Jesus is saying here. He said, now, he said, I'm departing from the world, but they're staying in the world, but I'm coming to you. And he said, Holy Father, you have given me your name. Now protect them by the power of your name so that they will be, look at this, united just as we are. Talking about the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then he goes on and he says, I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. So he wasn't just praying for those disciples that were presently with him. He was praying a prayer over all of us who would eventually be followers of Jesus and disciples of Christ. And then he goes on and he says, I pray that they will be one in verse 20, verse 21. He said, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. Now let me just say something right here. He's not saying I pray that they would all agree on everything. Because I don't even know if that's a prayer that Jesus could get answered. I would hope so. But he's not saying that I'm praying that they will all agree about everything, that everybody will be Alabama fans or everybody will be Auburn fans or everybody will be a Florida fan. No, that's not what he's saying here. Not that kind of unity. We're going to talk about the kind of unity that he's talking about in a moment. But he said, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. The image that he gives us here, the picture that he gives us here of unity is the picture of a vine connected to the branch or, 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 or a branch connected to the vine, a limb connected to the tree trunk. Because even though there's many different limbs on the tree, there's only one vine, there's only one trunk. But as long as we're all connected to the same vine or connected to the same trunk, Trunk, that's the kind of unity that he's talking about. That we're all connected to the same source. And then he says, I and you and you and me. And, and let me just tell you now, we'll never have unity with one another until we have unity with the God, the Father through Jesus, the Son by the power and work of the Holy Spirit. So we have to have union with him before we can have union and unity with one another. 
I believe that's why Paul said, don't enter into relationships with unbelievers because you can't have unity when that's happening. Let me go on. He said, may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent us. The church or the world will never believe anything a divided church tells them. Because a divided church is not an accurate representation of who God is. All right, we're going to talk more about that. He said, I have given them the glory that you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience, look at this last sentence, it's so powerful. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Would people be able to look, and I'm not just talking about Summerton Church of God today. I'm talking about the body of Christ all over the world. And we need to understand that the body of Christ is not just the church of God. It's not just the assembly of God. It's not just the Baptist church. It's not just the Methodist church. But it is the church of God and the assembly of God and the Baptist and the Methodist and the Presbyterian. As believers of the Lord Jesus Christ, as disciples of Jesus, as those bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus, putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, that body of people, that is the church of the living God. And would people be able today to look at the church universal and see God? I think not. Because there's so much division, not just among each local church, but among the universal church worldwide that the world begins to look at that and say, surely God doesn't have anything to do with that. This is so important this morning, folks, that we get this. Because Jesus said, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Now there's a few things that I want to talk to you about this morning that relates to the power of unity. And the first thing that we're going to talk about this morning is the one who is doing his very best to destroy the unity in the family of God. And we all know who that is. It's the devil. And here's the first thing that we need to know this morning about unity, and that is that the devil is a deviant divider. When you go back and you look at the devil's name in Greek, it's the word diablos. And that word diablos comes from another Greek word. It shares a, a root with another Greek word that means, look at this, it means to split or to divide. So inherent in his name is the fact that he is a splitter. Inherent in his name is the fact that he is a divider. The devil is a deviant divider. And, and it's not just important that we understand what his plan is. It's also important that we understand what his motive is. Why is he such a deviant divider? Why is he so determined to split and to divide the people of God? Well, I think one reason is this, and it's because the devil hates the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and despises their unity. 
When you look at the relationship between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we describe it as the Holy Trinity. And I don't even have time this morning to, to explain to you the doctrine of the Trinity. But to know that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is the epitome of unity. And the devil doesn't like that. The devil hates the Father. He hates the Son. He hates the Holy Spirit. And he despises their unity. And so here's what he says. He says, well, if they are going to be known for their unity, I'm going to be known for my divisiveness. I'm going to be known as a divider. Now listen, that doesn't mean that he doesn't believe in the power of unity because the devil knows. Have you ever felt like the devil was omnipresent? Have you ever felt like he was everywhere all the time? Some people for sure because every time you talk to them, they bumped into him that day. Listen to me, the devil is not omnipresent. The devil is not everywhere at the same time. But he has a well-united army of demons. Yes, they're united. No, they are not divided because the enemy understands the power of unity. And his horde of demons are very united to carry out their work of divisiveness. That's why they're so powerful. That's why they are so effective is because they are in unity. But he said, if the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit is going to be known for their unity, I'm going to be known for my divisiveness. I'm going to be known for splitting the people of God, for dividing marriages, for dividing families of God. So the devil is a deviant divider. But I think that his motivation is even more than that, more than the fact that he despises the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I also believe that he's a deviant divider because he understands that a house divided against itself cannot stand. Listen to what the scripture says, that if a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. You want to know why he's after your marriage as a believer? Do you want to know why he's after your family? As a believer, do you want to know why he's after the family of God? It's because he knows that when we are divided, we cannot stand. And what is it that Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5 or in Ephesians chapter 6? He says that we've got to put on the whole armor of God so that we would be able to do what? Stand against the wiles, the deception, the lies, the strategies of the enemy. And having done all to stand, then he says, stand therefore, having put on the whole armor of God. And then he begins to talk about what those pieces of armor are. But the bottom line is the enemy knows that if we are divided, that we cannot stand and that's why he is so divisive he knows that a marriage that's divided is not going to last he knows a family that is divided is not going to last he knows a church that is divided is not going to last and he knows that if we cannot stand that we have then lost our ability to take our foot and put it on his head and crush the serpent you see we've got to be able to stand in order that we can keep the enemy under our our feet where he belongs somebody say amen to that now listen in a lot of ways the devil is ahead in a lot of ways the devil is winning I think one of the ways the devil is winning and accomplishing this is convincing believers that they don't need the fellowship 
of other believers. That is a lie straight from the pit of hell. That the enemy's trying to convince some people that you can do life alone, even the Christian life, you can do it alone better than you can do it together with other believers. When you go back to Acts chapter 2, down around verse 42, and it talks about how fast the early church grew. And I believe that the reason why the early church was so effective and the reason why the early church grew at such fast pace is because of their unity. They did everything together. They broke bread together. They fellowshiped together. They worshiped together. The Bible even said that what they owned, that they didn't even consider it theirs, that what they owned belonged to everybody. It was everyone's to share as everybody had a need. He went on to say this in the book of Acts, that they worshiped together in the temple courts and from house to house. He's telling us how important it is that we come together like we do on Sunday for a corporate time of worship where we can build one another up, where we can encourage one another in the faith, where we can get a word from God that will help us be a better follower, a more effective follower of Jesus Christ. We need this corporate gathering. But then he said they also met together from house to house. Listen to me. I know some of you don't think this is important, but you need to be in a small group. You need to be in an equipped class. You need to get connected because you need somebody else that you can do life with. Don't believe the lies of the devil. Don't believe the lies of the enemy. You need other believers in your life to do life with and to share your faith with. That's one way that he's ahead. It's convincing us that we don't need each other. I can stay home and live stream it. We'll talk more about that in just a minute. I might get to meddling a little bit this morning. But here's the second way that I think he's winning and dividing the family of God is with politics. Listen, if a church is divided because of politics, it's because they value policy more than they value people. Now, for God, he values people. But what do we hear? Well, I'm a Republican. Well, I'm a Democrat. Well, I'm a feminist. Well, I'm a chauvinist. You don't hear that much anymore from guys, do you? Well, I'm pro-life. Well, I'm pro-choice. You see how the enemy works. And what has happened, if we're not careful, is what divides us is what defines us now. But instead of what defines us dividing us, what we need is we need to be united by what describes us. And what describes us is not whether I'm a Republican or a Democrat. What describes us is not whether I'm a feminist or a chauvinist. What defines us or describes us is not whether I'm pro-life or pro-choice. What describes us is not whether I'm black or white or red or yellow. What matters is what Paul said here in Colossians 3 and 11 when he said in this new life, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile. It doesn't matter if you're circumcised or uncircumcised. It doesn't mean if you're barbaric, uncivilized, fray or free. 
all that matters is Christ. All that matters is Jesus and he lives in all of us. And you know what? I don't care if you're Baptist. I don't care if you're Assembly of God. I don't care if you're Methodist. I don't care if you're Presbyterian. If you believe in and you're preaching Jesus, I can be on the same page with you. I can do ministry with you if it's all about Jesus. If you're white and you have racism in your heart, something's wrong with your heart. There's wickedness in your heart. If you're black and you think that every white person is a racist, there's evil and wickedness in your heart. Listen, when we come to God as the family of God, he doesn't look at the color of our skin, but he looks at the one in our heart, Jesus. And if it's Jesus that matters, if it's Jesus that we serve, if it's Jesus that we love, if it's Jesus that we preach, if it's Jesus that we teach, I think we can all come together and just center our lives around Jesus and who Jesus is and what Jesus can do in somebody's life. Oh, it's not your politics that define you. It's who you serve. It's not our politics that bind us together. It's not our politics that unify us. What unifies us is that we all serve the same Savior and His name is Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Hallelujah. I'll come back and piggyback on that a little bit. My next message on love, the power of love. But the devil is a deviant divider. He hates the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit and despises their unity. Despises it. But I want you to, I want you to notice another thing about the enemy as it, relates to, as it relates to unity. And that is this. Satan hates his notes on unity. I know that sounds like a random point. But he hates his notes on unity. One, one other thing that we've got to remember about Satan is this. He is not omniscient. He's not God. Only God is all knowledge, is all knowing. Only God has all knowledge. The enemy doesn't. So therefore, he's got to be a good note taker. And I believe that if we could get a hold of the enemy's notebook and flip through his notes, that these points that we're going to see in just a moment, that these points we would find them in the devil's notebook on unity. I know without a doubt we would find this, and that is that the enemy knows that unity gets answers. He's seen God come through time and time again on this. Because look at what the scripture says in Matthew 18. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask. It will be done for them by my Father in heaven. See, the enemy knows that unity gets answers. He knows that when two or three come together and they pray according to the will of the Father and they agree on what the will of the Father is, that answers are going to come. Now, why do you think the enemy fights so hard every Sunday at the end of every message to keep people from coming forward for ministry time? You think it's just a battle between you and yourself. 
You think it's just a battle between you and your pride. Well, I'm, I'm worried about what people might think about me if I go down for prayer. Or I'm worried about who might be the one that prays for me when I get there. No, it's not a battle between you and yourself and you and your pride. It is a battle between you and the devil. And the reason why is because he does not want you letting somebody else agree with you about what God can do in your life. And he knows that the moment that you are obedient and you come and you grab hands and you grab faith with another believer and they agree with you as touching any one thing according to the will of the Father, that the Father is going to do whatever you ask. Listen to me. If you need prayer on a Sunday, if you need prayer any other day of the week, you need to get a believer on the phone and you need to get them in agreement with you because there is power in unity. There is power when two or three come together together and pray in the name of the Lord. But, but, but here's a second note I think we would find, and that is that unity is more effective against its enemies. I think you'd, you'd find that in the devil's notebook on unity. Look at the passage we looked at when we started this morning. Two people are better off than one, for they can help each other succeed. If one person falls, the other can reach out and help. But someone who falls alone is in real trouble. Likewise, two people lying close together can keep each other warm. But how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated. But two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better. For a triple braided cord is not easily broken. So you've got to decide, are you going to do life as a thread? Or are you going to do life as a cord? Because when you take some threads and you bind them together, they become a rope. They become a cord that's not easily broken. Philip, come up here and help me just a minute. Let's show you what he's talking about. Now, if I'm fighting alone, I'm an open prey for the enemy. Because I can't look forward and back the whole time. Turn around. But when we're back to back, then I see what's coming to either come after him or me, and then he does the same. He, he knows what's coming for him, and he knows what's coming for me. And we're able to fight, and we're able to defend one another. Come here, David. Nick, come over here. Right here. Get right there. Mm, boy, the devil don't like this. Right here, Nick. Now look at this. North, south, east, west, whatever direction he comes from, they got my back. I got their back. You see? Do you understand what he's talking about? That the more of you that are standing together, the more of you that are keeping watch, the more of you that are praying for one another, the more of you that are fighting for one another, the greater your chances are for victory, the greater your chances are to not just survive but to thrive. This right here is the kind of unity that the enemy hates. He can't stand it because he knows he doesn't stand a chance against it. Thank you, guys. Come on. Thank these guys for helping me out. And that's the way it ought to be in the body of Christ. We should have each other's back. But too often, if we're not careful, we're too busy attacking each other that we can't protect one another. Oh, I better move on. Here's the third thing I would think you would find in his notes on unity, and that is that unity drips, dues, and demands. 
I get that from Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Notice he said it's good, it's pleasant when brothers dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil. It's a picture of the anointing of God. It's like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon. Look at your neighbor and say mountain dew. Oh, yes, Mountain Dew. I could use a big cold one right now. Praise the Lord. Because where there is unity, there's Mountain Dew. Glory to God. Look at your neighbor and tell them, Mountain Dew. Yeah, it is like the dew of Hermon because Hermon was a mountain descending upon the mountains of Zion. It is like, and then he says, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, life forevermore. You see, here's what the enemy knows. He's taking good notes when it comes to unity. That when there is a marriage that is unified, when there's a family that is unified, when there is a church that is unified, there, there, there is where the anointing of God is going to be. There is where the dew, the rain of God is going to be there is where the blessing but look at this not just the blessing of God the commanded blessing of the Lord that God commands blessings to come to a marriage where there's unity God commands blessing to come to a family where there is unity God commands he says blessing get over there get over there and do what you were meant to do in that church you see when there is unity there's due there is an outpouring there's refreshing amen there's the commanded blessing of all Almighty God. That's why it's so important that we live and dwell in unity. But then there's one other thing I think you would find in the devil's notebook, and that is he knows that unity is unstoppable. It's unstoppable. Genesis chapter 11. At one time, all the people of the world spoke the same language and used the same words. As the people migrated to the east, they found a plain in the land of Babylonia and settled there. They began saying to each other, let us make bricks and harden them with fire. Then it goes on in verse 4 and said, they said, come, let us build a great city for ourselves. Now notice their motive is impure. Their motive is selfish. But notice what happens because of their unity, even with impure motives. Says we're going to build a city for ourselves with a tower that reaches into the sky. This will make us famous and keep us from being scattered all over the world. But the Lord came down to look at the city and the tower that the people were building. Look, he said, the people are united. And they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. That's the power of unity. It is unstoppable. And do you know what God had to do? Because only God can stop it. God confused their languages and he scattered them all over the face of the earth because he knew that even though they had impure motives because they had such unity, they would still be able to accomplish the task that they had set out to accomplish. Now if that's the case with impure motives, can you imagine what we could accomplish with pure motives if we are just unified? What a weapon. Which brings us to where I'm going to close. And that is that if we're going to have unity, it demands our commitment. And team, you can go ahead and come. It demands our commitment. It's not going to just happen. We've got to be committed to unity in our marriage, to unity in our families, to unity 
in our church. Look at what Paul said. He said, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. Because the enemy is a deviant divider and he's doing everything he can to steal, to kill, and destroy. And he does it through division. He said, bind yourselves together with peace. Verse 4 is not up here, but verse 4 says this. Verse 4 says that we have one hope, that there is one body, and there is one spirit. And by that he was meaning that there's only one body. I know, I know we so many times identify as Church of God or Baptist or Methodist, but listen, there's one body. One body, not many bodies. And there's only one head over that one body. And his name is Jesus and he has authority over all. And we are all under the headship, the authority of Jesus. But there's only one body, but there's many members. Just like my body has arms and legs and hands and fingers and feet and toes. I'm one body, but I have many members. And the church is one body with many members. And then he says we have one spirit. It's the spirit of Christ that dwells within us. And then he says we have one hope, and that hope is Jesus is coming again. That's our hope. And then he goes on in verse 5 and says there's one Lord. His name is Jesus. And he says there's one faith, and he's talking about the doctrine of truth that is to be our standard of living. And that standard is the Word of God that we talked about the first week. And then he said there's one baptism. Talking about water baptism after our conversion. And then he says there's only one God and Father of all who is over all, in all, and living through all. You see, this is what unites us. This is why we have growth track at Summerton Church of God. We're not just trying to create another class for you to go to, but we're trying to create a class where we build unity, where everybody knows this is what our vision is. This is what our mission is. And it's the same vision and mission of Christ. We try to get everybody on the same page about what we believe. Because unity is so important, Summerton. It is so important that we are all on the same page and we're all headed in the same direction. It's important that we're great at the great commandment. To love God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love our neighbor as ourselves. And it's important that we're great at the great commission. To make disciples of all the nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, we're united around one vision, one mission, one purpose. And it's the same vision, mission, and purpose of Christ. Not only that, we're going to do and we're going to be committed to unity by not judging others. I know I'm going a little past this morning, but just stay with me a moment. And please don't let this keep you from going back to our small group sign-ups today because that is so important for you to connect to that. I promise your lunch will be okay. I promise. If Lee's runs out, they'll resupply the buffet. If you're a judgmental person, listen to me. If you're a judgmental person, it's because you have a critical spirit. And people who have a critical spirit... That critical spirit moves you further and further away from other people because nobody wants a part of that. 
And so now there becomes division between you and that person. And listen to me, this is so important. You, you need to hear this. This is so important because some of you are letting the ground between you and that other person get bigger and bigger and bigger. And all of that territory between you and the person that you're separated from is owned by the devil. Is owned by the enemy. All that acreage belongs to him. Here's, here's what Jesus said. He said, do not judge others and you will not be judged for you will be treated as you treat others. The standard you use in judging is the standard by which you will be judged. So let me ask you this, how do you want to be judged? Because when we judge other people, we judge them by their actions. But when we judge ourselves, we judge ourselves by our intentions. When we judge others, we judge them by their worst moment. When we judge ourselves, we judge ourselves by our best moment. Wouldn't it be great if we could judge everybody by their best moment? Not by their worst moment. Wow. And then here's the second thing. You've got to be committed. If we're going to fight and be committed to unity, we've got to be committed to be quick to apologize. And to forgive. Notice, before forgive, I said apologize. Because Jesus said this. He said, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to the person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. God is saying, listen, I love that you want to be in my presence. But before you can fully experience my presence, if you remember that somebody is offended or if somebody's got ought against you, you need to leave your gift. Then you go and you reconcile to that person. But pastor, I didn't do anything to them. They did it to me. That ain't what the Bible says. The Bible says somebody's got to go first. Somebody's got to take an initiative, and that should be the child of God. Always be the first to apologize. Always be the first to forgive. There's a married couple sitting in here today, one waiting on the other, to come to them with an apology and with asking for forgiveness. Listen, it may not ever happen. So you need to take the initiative. Be quick to apologize. Be quick to forgive. The unity, listen to me, is worth whatever you have to do to keep unity in the Spirit. Would you stand with me this morning? Do y'all remember Jacob and Esau? And just to show you what a deviant divider the devil is, from the very beginning of time, what did he do? He divided Adam and Eve. Then he moved on to Cain and Abel and divided them. Then he moved to Jacob and Esau and divided them. Then he moved to Joseph and his brothers and divided them. Divide, 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 because he's a deviant divider. But with Jacob and Esau, Jacob said, you know what? I want to make things right with my brother. And when he did, he said this. He said, if I have found favor with you, please accept this gift from me. And what a relief to see your friendly smile. It is like seeing the face of God. You see, when you apologize and ask forgiveness, it does something to that other person. It's like seeing the face of God. Father, I know that these words that are going forth are easier said than done. We can only do it with the power of your Holy Spirit. We can only do it by your grace. It's the only way we can do it. But Father, today I pray that every person in this room would make a commitment to unity. Unity in their marriage. Unity in their family. 
unity in this house, in the family of God, knowing that the enemy wants to divide us because he hates and despises the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he does not want us to have that kind of unity of our own. But Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray that in this house today would be a commitment to unity, that we will not judge other people, that we will not have a critical spirit, that we will not gossip, that we would all be centered around one mission and vision and truth, that we would all be on the same page, headed the same direction. Because that's what brings you glory, Father. That's what brings you honor. That's what best represents you in this world. And God, we want to be good representatives. We want to be light and we want to be salt. And the best way that we can do that is to have unity. It's the best way to defeat the enemy and keep him defeated. Unity. Thank you, Father, that it's possible that we can experience it. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Well, I hope that you were blessed and inspired by today's message. We here at Summerton Church of God believe that God is a God who still does miracles. And we're seeing it on a weekly basis. People's lives being transformed by the power of God. Being saved, healed, and delivered for the glory of God. And we want you to experience it for yourself. So why don't you come and be our guest one Sunday here at Summerton Church of God. I look forward to personally meeting you.